Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning, we're going to be talking about the value of Christian relationships and growing in spiritual community together. And uh, I just, I love that intro by Sergey. That was one of the most helpful things for the message today because so many times we glamorize deep relationships and community. There's this glamour around it of the pursuit of community and what it means and what it's gonna be. It's gonna be incredible. We're gonna have all these people come and there's gonna be refugees. We're gonna take care of them and everything. And then you, you, know, you hear his testimony and someone's living in my office. My office is in the car. They have dogs and cats and rats. And when you go there, they're there with all the needs and demands. And when you go home, it's you know relating to your family. <laughs> there's just so many complexities to this thing. Oh, help us, Lord. Okay, First Peter chapter two. Um, Look at verse four. I'm gonna read some of these verses. Coming to him, that's Christ, speaking of Jesus, as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Skip down to verse nine. You're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Father, we thank you for your word, your written word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask, Lord, for the increase of understanding and wisdom in our midst. We ask for the nearness of your presence, Lord, to increase. We love you, Jesus. We delight in you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, like I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be emphasizing Christian community this morning in the message, and later today we'll host a meeting over at IHOPU for friendship groups, for leaders that are emerging or present leaders as well, come together and share some vision and time together. Uh, Paragraph A, just a brief introduction here, an overview over some key components. Forerunner Church is the local church expression of the International House of Prayer, Kansas City. Our desire here is to equip our family to live out new Christianity. Now, there's three areas, there are more than three areas, but there are three visible areas, key areas to our missions base that comprise this missions base. And the reason I'm saying this is because this isn't always obvious to people that are coming here or recently joining for the first time. The IHOPKC missions base is comprised of a global prayer room, what we call the global prayer room. That's a 24-7 prayer room with live worship 
That's been happening the last 23 years. That's the center of our missions base. We also have what's called the International House of Prayer University. You may have seen the building over on Main Street and 71 Highway in Grandview. That's where we do a lot of our training and our internships and many, many other components of what we do as a missions base. And then we also have Forerunner Church. That's where you're at presently this morning listening to this message. That's our local church expression of our missions base. All of these facets of the missions base have the same primary mission. This is an abbreviated version of our mission statement. I should have put the whole thing in, but our goal as a spiritual family, our primary goal is to advance 24-7 prayer with worship, proclaim the beauty of Jesus and his glorious return. That's one of our core components. So every aspect of the missions base that you may encounter or go to, part of their job and their role is to continue this mission on here in our city. We began in 1999, May 7th of 1999, and we've been going perpetually in this mission, 24-7 prayer with worship, now, that's the prayer of intercession and the worship with the word and the worship model and all those type of things. And we've been messaging, means preaching, teaching, creating videos, assets, I mean, marketing, all these different things to proclaim the beauty of Jesus in the midst of this generation and talk about his coming and his return, which very, very few are. But I was uh, talking with Sergey, who was just up here a moment ago, and he was talking about the shift among Ukrainians and Russians and the, the whole Russian-speaking world over there and talking about how more and more believers are emphasizing and leaning into the end times message because of the crisis, actually. And he was saying that very few people, you know, a few years ago, let's say, were really emphasizing the coming of the Lord but in the midst of the crisis, one of the conversations that's been propelled to the forefront is this message of the return of Jesus. And that's not unique to IHOP. That's in the Bible. IHOP and Forerunner Church, we talk about that because it's in the Bible. The prophets talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it. And it's a very relevant message because it helps us to contextualize what we're supposed to do today and how we're supposed to live. There's a sense of urgency. Things aren't just going to continue as they have been uh, for many, many years. In the early 80s, there were two key words that were given. Well, there are lots of words given, but there were two key words that were given that pertain to our local body here, our local church. The Lord spoke audibly to a man named Bob Jones and said that he would give, the Lord would give a grand view of the kingdom to grand view from many nations. And what's notable about that word is that at the time we weren't located in Grandview. We were, our church was over in Overland Park. And through a series of odd events, we ended up over here in Grandview. This man also prophesied that we would be next to Harry Truman. And we're just down the road from the Truman property. We own, as a ministry, part of the old Truman Farm right there over by IHOPU. Another key message was that we were to proclaim Zechariah 4 unto Ephesians 4. 
This is where the Lord was taking us. And there's a lot to say on what that means, but to really boil it down and say it simply, it's that Zechariah 4 is the foundation of day and night prayer. Zechariah is prophesying to those that are building the temple, they're building the house of prayer after the Babylonian captivity. And there are key phrases and ideas and principles in Zechariah 4 that pertain to this people that set the foundation of who we are and who we're going to be uh, in the days to come. We'll talk about that more this afternoon at our leaders gathering over at IHOPU. The second thing is that we would go from Zechariah 4 unto Ephesians 4, that the Lord would release Ephesians 4 in a more pronounced way in our spiritual family. Ephesians 4 is one of the great New Testament chapters about the body of Christ and how the body of Christ functions and how the body of Christ is mobilized to use their individual gifts to strengthen the whole so that the body comes to maturity, mature love and the fullness of God. Paragraph D, we aim to grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. Well, let's look at this passage out of 1 Peter 2. Last week, we looked at the future of the church gaining a glorious vision of the future of the church. Because without vision, the, the word of God tells us that the people of God, we perish. We perish where there is a lack of vision. And so as individual believers that constitute the church, if we don't have a vision of where the church is going and what Christ is doing in his leadership of the church, we'll languish and we'll remain unengaged. We'll remain, I used the illustration last week of kind of grandstanding what's happening in the church. We're up in the stands, the game's going down on the field and we're yelling, play harder, go faster, be different, get a different coach but we're not really in the game and participating. And the Lord doesn't see some part of believers as up in the stands and other believers down on the field. That's not the illustration the Lord uses. The Bible says that we're all at war together. We're all laboring together at war for the kingdom of God. We're all farmers. And there's lots of other illustrations that the scripture uses to describe our engagement together corporately as the body of Christ, where no one is meant to re resign themselves to the sideline and just kind of wait for something to happen for them. That's not really the New Testament vision for church community. In Ephesians 3, we see that the body of Christ cannot walk in the fullness of her calling as individuals, but she attains her maturity as a corporate body. Paul mentions in his prayer in Ephesians 3, he says this, he says that you would comprehend, that means to understand, to allow those truths to penetrate your heart, and comprehending is more than just intellect. There's a, what's insinuated is that there's an expression that comes out of it. That expression actually is the next chapter, Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6. But Paul says here that you would comprehend all the saints, verse 19, to know the love of Christ, to be engaged and submerged in the affections of God, the delight of God. This is, God wants us to understand his heart for us, and then from that place, we engage in ministry and family and business and all the aspects of life. But he's saying, 
we're going to comprehend as a corporate body the love of Christ so that, look at this, it says, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul's vision for fullness and the full expression of who the church is called to be doesn't happen individually. It's not that we're supposed to, you know, become monks and you heard about that radical guy that went and lived out in the woods somewhere for a couple years and he just said, I don't need anybody and, you know, maybe he was kind of cranky. I'm mad at the church and so I'm gonna go just get as much in God as I can and you have my address if you need me, you know, kind of thing. And Paul's giving us a very different vision. He's saying, actually, the fullness of God comes all together. We together participating, engaging, comprehending, understanding through revelation and through uh, uh, engagement of our spiritual gifts. That's where we come to the fullness of what God has tended for the body of Christ. So this isolationism thing, it has to go. And this idea that it's us four, no more, it has to go. There is no sense of elitism. Like there's this group somewhere that's really going after what it means to be a Christian and everybody else has just got to either get with the program or get out. It's, it's not really that. There's a corporate understanding. The Israeli people, the Jewish nation, has a very strong corporate identity and corporate understanding. And when the reformers came along about 500 years ago, and they really began to emphasize the individual priesthood of the believer and, and salvation, there, obviously there were many benefits that came out of that, but I think one of the downsides that came out from that was the individualistic idea of the Christian faith. And so it's about me and my life in God only, and I'm gonna engage in church just as much as it strengthens me. And so you can hear it even in the way that we process, you know, a weekend service together. I've done this many, many times. We ask, well, how was the service? What happened? You know, the preaching of the word, or the worship, or whatever event we went to. How was the sand? How was the one thing conference, whatever. And almost always the description is how it affected me personally and what I liked and according with my preferences. I liked this, but I didn't like that, and I wish this had been better, and I wish I had been picked for this, but they didn't ask me, and so, you know, I was just, I don't know why I was there, whatever. And so one of the things that the New Testament does is it breaks us out of our individualism, and we've got to get a vision for the fullness of God manifesting in the church being dynamically connected to our knittedness together as believers, we are the body of Christ. And if you separate a part of the body of Christ, if you, cr you know, cut off a hand and you know, put it in the woods or whatever, it's not the body anymore, it's a crime scene. And the Lord wants us to gain a corporate understanding because we all have an individual role to play that is so dynamically important. Paragraph B, God said about Adam, even before he sinned, before the fall, but think about this, the significance. Before the fall of man, God said to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. What he's saying by implication there, this is a bold statement, is that God was saying for humanity that God is not enough for Adam. That's a bizarre concept because in our idealism, in our sentiment, in our whatever, we think that 
God is enough, and I'm just stuck on an island somewhere. It's just me and God. That's kind of the ideal situation. It's not the ideal situation according to God. He said it's not good to be alone. He said you need to be in the context of relationship, and he's not just speaking of the marriage relationship. He's speaking of the broader relationships that we find in the new covenant pursuing Jesus together because that's what God himself has. He's not just one God. He's one God in three persons. He is the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when he invites us into his kingdom, he's already inviting us into community because we're joining not just a solitary relationship between God and us. We're joining the relationship between us and the Father, us and the Son, us and the Holy Spirit, us with one another. And we're learning and understanding more about relationship in the way that the Father relates to the Son and in the way the Son relates to the Spirit. You know, one of the best ways to get to know someone is not in the context just of a one-on-one conversation or a one-on-one coffee or a meeting or something like that. One of the best ways to get to know someone is to see the way in which they react and relate to other people as well. You go over to somebody's house, you're relating to them, and you see the way that they relate to their children, the tone that they use and how they relate to them, how they talk to them, what they call them, how they, you know, all of those things. It gives you a more clear picture of who that person is. And so your understanding of that person increases and your knowledge of them deepens in the way that they relate to party C, not just A to B. Do you follow? And so one of the great joys of of Christian community is seeing us relate to one another in different contexts and in different ways. It deepens our relationship. Mike has been sharing on Friday nights from John 15. That's the passage for this um, particular season of focus on the John 13 through 17 chapters. And one of the key verses, you all know, it's John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. In other words, we weren't meant to understand the love of God outside of the context of a deeper, secondary, other relationship that was going on between the Father and the Son. We can't understand the full measure of God's love for us without considering God's love from the Father to the Son, from the Son to the Spirit, from the Spirit to the Father. And actually, as believers, peering in to that relationship deepens our relationship with God. Thus, community and relationship and the multifaceted way in which we observe one another and celebrate one another and see one another deepens our relationship and brings us into a deeper place of spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. So Peter, in this letter, we're looking at 1 Peter in chapter 2, Peter's writing this letter to the church in a time of incredible persecution and pressure. And if you read through First and Second Peter, you'll see the theme of suffering coming up again and again. And so Peter is writing to the church. He's seeking to strengthen them. He's seeking to give them a vision for the body of Christ so that they don't waver under the midst of pressure. 
Many believe, scholars believe that Peter wrote this under the time of Nero and the rise of Nero's persecution. So there's this huge fire in Rome. It burns all this area. And they're looking for a scapegoat to, of who to blame, just like we do for all of our crises in our nation. We look for a scapegoat. Who are we going to blame for this crisis? And Nero decides that he's going to blame the Christians. And so it leads to a massive amount of persecution, of imprisonment, of torture, and of death that is happening to believers. And what's interesting about Peter is that the Lord names him Peter. He calls him the rock. And he's giving Peter as a gift to the body of Christ to be this unmovable rock in the times of pressure and in the times of trouble. So let's look at these verses here. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4, we come to Christ as a living stone rejected by men. Now, Peter's really using a lot of this terminology of stones and living stones and cornerstones for a number of reasons. One of them is that his name had just be, had been changed to Peter, like I mentioned, which means the rock. So Peter, in this letter, he's even speaking out of his own life experiences. He's speaking through the lens of how Jesus changed his name and changed his character. And it almost becomes this perhaps motif through which Peter views the body of Christ. He's using all this language of rock and stone and all of that. He says it's been chosen by God and precious and that you as living stones are being built up into a, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Peter's name previously had been Simeon or Simon Peter, which means he who listens. It's taken from the Hebrew word where they we get the Shema, the the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one from Deuteronomy 6 and other places. And so he changes Peter's name from just being a man that hears the word of God to being a man that stands on the word of God, that's immovable, related to the word of God. I think that there's the same invitation for all of us for as, as believers. In order to endure increasing pressure, and our lives are all presently under pressure. Everybody in this room has pressures that are bearing down upon their lives. But those pressures can increase. They likely will increase. And in order to endure the increasing pressure of our lives, to not waver in our faith, we have to shift from being people that just hear the word to being people that do the word, like James says. Be not ye just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. There's actually a response. There are actually things that we're called to do as Christians to build up this glorious house called the church where God's presence can come and dwell and rest among us because that's what we want. If we don't have the presence of God in our midst, then we might as well just cancel all the weekly meetings. I mean, if we're not in God's presence, that just means we're in our own presence. That's not that great, if you haven't you know, noticed. We want the presence of the Lord. Go to page two. He speaks of Jesus as this living stone. And he calls him this important phrase, a chief cornerstone. What that means is that the Father 
has chosen to bring about his purposes through the person of Christ in building his spiritual house, his family, the church. All of it is built on the cornerstone. We know that the cornerstone in ancient times was the first stone that was laid in the foundation of a structure. And that cornerstone, the word for stone that's used for this particular cornerstone is a different word that's used for just a rock like Peter, Petra. The cornerstone was the lithos. And it was the uh, specifically hewn, shaped, formed stone that would set the trajectory in all the right directions for what that structure was intended to be. So a lot of effort and a lot of work went into shaping that cornerstone. Because if that cornerstone, if the angles were off, if the surface was rough, what happens is, is that you begin to build that structure and you get a certain distance out and it's gonna be completely off balance. It won't be straight. And what you've intended to build will be lost if the cornerstone has been corrupted or if it's incomplete. So the father takes the son and he puts him through a process to become the perfect cornerstone. It's called the cross. Jesus endures the cross and he's raised and seated and waiting at the right hand of the father because God has chosen him to be the cornerstone that will be laid in Zion to fulfill the father's purposes for the human race. And so what does that mean? It means that we, we're living stones. When you come to the faith, when you put your trust in Christ as your savior and as your Lord, he, he saves you from your sins, but you also pledge your allegiance to him as your Lord. It means that you're joined as a rock like Peter to the cornerstone. And these other stones that are added to the structure, they have to be just like the cornerstone. So they have to be ground down. They have to be shaped. They start off as, you know, rocks in a field, rocks in a quarry. They're brought, okay, here's the model by which we're building this entire purpose, this entire structure. It's Jesus. And so what we need to do is we need to take your life now, you've been saved and redeemed. You're in the family. The, they brought you from the quarry. They brought you from the hill. You were a Gentile. You were a drug addict. You were lost and gone, whatever. They brought you to the cornerstone, so you're in the family. But now you've got to line up with the cornerstone. You've got to go through a process of refinement, of grinding, of measurement in order to look like Jesus so that as you build the dwelling place of God as a living stone, God gets the structure that he's actually after. How does that process happen? Well, it happens, like James says, count it all joy when you come under various trials. It's the trials of life it's the pressures and it's yielding to the leadership of the Lord by walking in a spirit of obedience. And one of the key facets of that, which I'll touch on later in the notes, is 
Matthew chapter five, it's embracing the eight Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So when we yield to the leadership of God, our lives are being transformed to look more like Jesus so that we fit right next to him in the temple of God. There's no other way to fulfill the purposes of God without yielding to him and allowing our lives to be transformed by the word of God in a spirit of obedience. There's no other way. There's only one way. It's God's way. Our aim, paragraph G, is to become a corporate dwelling place where the presence of God is not striving against humanity. God strives against man when they are not in agreement with one another, when man's heart that is filled with so much pride and evil and wicked, wickedness, lust, envy, greed, when God strives against man, he cannot dwell there. He cannot be among that people. And what's interesting is that we're being built up, as written in paragraph G, we're built, being built up into a spiritual house. That word house is the word that's used to describe family. We're being built into the family of God. God's family is increasing and it's expanding. We wanna be a dwelling place where God's spirit isn't striving against humanity. Think about our city and think about the majority of the thoughts actions, intentions of the heart of people that live in Kansas City, the vast majority of them. The vast majority of them are in disagreement with Christ and his leadership. They're resisting him. I mean, think about our own life. The sincere, devout Christians. We know the challenge. You know the challenge already of your heart striving against God's leadership. He calls you to do something. He calls you to serve in a certain way. He calls you to walk in a spirit of obedience with the Beatitudes. We go, I don't want to do that. You know, I was having a conversation with one of my kids, and they're just like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. What are you just asking me to do? I go, I'm, I'm asking you to be humble. They go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't, there's resistance to the leadership of God because we feel that we lose out on things. We feel in the context of Christian community that if we engage in community, that if we put our heart out there, we're going, well, I gotta, there's things to go deep in relationship. I gotta be vulnerable. I gotta give my time. I've gotta clear my schedule to serve other people. There's a real cost, and because of the fear of the loss of that, we go, I'm, I don't want to do that. That's an example of one of the ways in which our hearts are striving against God. And he goes, I want to help you in this. He goes, I want you to see the great joy of engaging in deeper relationship in Christian community and doing things my way as living stones. I think one of the challenges that we hear, you know, we tell young people that marriage is so hard. It's kind of funny. It's kind of cute. There's like stand-up comedy routines about how hard it is, you know. And one thing that we don't talk about is how incredible marriage is and how deeply 
fulfilling it can be and what a joy it can be. And, and, and there's just so many benefits to family and marriage and beauty and love and not just romantic love, but companionship and friendship that happens in the context of marriage. It's incredible. I want to talk about that stuff more because I want to give people a vision that the cost is worth it on the front end. It could seem challenging. The first year of marriage is challenging, can be very challenging, but the benefit far outweighs the cost. And that's the way it is with all Christian belief and our faith. There is an incredibly high cost to our faith. But the benefits far, far, far outweigh the cost. Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. We go, I don't want to do that. We're striving against God. We're striving against his leadership. He goes, no, if you do this, he goes, I will bring you into my presence that is filled with joy and delight and pleasure like you can't possibly imagine. The cost far outweighs or excuse me, the, the reward far outweighs the cost. The same is true for being living stones that are being built into a house of God. In Ephesians 2, Paul says the similar language, you're being built into the household of God. You're members of his house. He's the chief cornerstone. You're being fitted together in verse 21. See, this is the Phrase that sounds so nice, being fitted together with other Christians. Yay. You're a, you're a living stone. Your life is under enormous pressure because you're being ground down in ways that you don't really want to be ground down on. The Lord's putting his hand on your life. Related to your money, related to your time. You're like, ugh. <laughs> and he's going, I'm making you just like my cornerstone so you could be joined to him. Then here comes another living stone and your friendship group, your neighbor, person you meet and meet and greet. And they're kind of bumping into you because, you know, they're putting the stones together to kind of mortar things in. And, you know, the, they're kind of jammed in next to you and you're looking at them and you're like, do I have another option to swap out this living stone for someone else? Can we negotiate this at all right now? And we idealize that if it were someone else, it would be so much easier. Because these are the Christian relationships in our life. We look down. And they're there, we look next to us, they're there, we look on the other side, they're there. Why? Because you're a stone that's being built into a temple for the presence of God. And we're kind of bumping and jostling and things are kind of scraping and we're like, hey, you gotta do some more work on this guy. He's not like the cornerstone. What's going on over here? He's got weird ideas. He's got a lot of zeal about random Maybe biblical things, I don't really know, but get this guy out of here. I want to be in a friendship group with a different stone. I want to have different friends at this church. So we look across the room and, you know, we sit over here. So we got, <laughs> we meet some people over here for a while. And then we're kind of looking over that section. That section we're like, hey, they look pretty good over there. Because all the living stones look good from a distance. It's only when you get up close that you see the cracks and the scuffs and there's a couple barnacles on there and you're like, wait a second. And then you got the same ones, but you don't know. You're like, no, nah, I'm just like Jesus. 
Your spouse is like, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> so they're, we're pushing against each other and, and jostling, but there's a great benefit to it as well. Because what happens is when, in a wall, when the stone begins to shake, when someone's going through a time of trouble or adversity, the other stones around them, they're supporting them. They're upholding them. They feel the shake too. They feel the tremor too. A, a believer loses someone that's in their family, they're, they're a, a spouse or a loved one, that there's other stones around them in their life that are surrounding them, and they're doing Romans 12, weep with those who weep. And when one stone is rejoicing, they're all rejoicing because they're part of the same building, the same temple, the same body. When someone's promoted, when someone gets the breakthrough, when someone gets the $10,000 check written to them, or they get the business promotion or whatever it is, we're all supposed to go, yay, and rejoice with them because when they succeed, we all succeed. So there's this interconnectedness, and we share, yes, challenges, but we also share joy and breakthrough and rejoicing, and we won't get that at all if we're not joined in to the body. If we're not joined in, if we just go, well, you know what, I'm part of the church anyway, so I'm just gonna sit at home and I'll just do church there. I, I get that, I get that there's real pains, setbacks, challenges that we've encountered with engaging in a broader local body. But don't stay there very long. Don't stay there very long. Get back in the game. And don't get back in the game looking to be served. Get back in the game looking to serve. Go and feed other people. And I don't mean just feed, like feed well, do that, but serve them. Love them. I have here later and about investing in, anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. God made us to need him and to need one another. Look at this statistic in paragraph I. There's about 400,000 churches in America. The vast majority of them are 300 people, 200 people, or less. The vast majority of them are. What that means is that when people engage in church, they come to Sunday mornings, they see Sunday mornings as their main relational touch point. That's where we're together as all the living stones. And they minimize Christian community and relationship life to trying to get the most meaningful connections as possible in an hour and a half window or an hour window on Sunday mornings. Life doesn't work like that. Not real life. Not deeper life. We must be purposeful, paragraph J, in the time that we invest in relationships. Time is our most important resource. It can never be gotten back. It's the resource that we spend every single day. It's the most valuable one. We can never gain it back. You go and you spend energy serving someone, you can get your energy back. You take a nap, drink some caffeine. You go give money away, bless somebody financially, so into them, you can get money back. You cannot get back time. And what happens is, is that 
a lot of time in relationships, Christian relationships, gets minimized to just social events and just kind of hanging out in the name of fellowship. Let's get together and let's watch the Chiefs game and that's our Christian community and Christian fellowship. And there's nothing wrong with getting together believers and doing that. But that's not quite what the Bible is describing in terms of going deeper in Christian fellowship together and encountering the Lord together and ministering to one another, getting to know each other in a meaningful way. You know, husbands, I encourage every husband to take their wife out and date them, even if you've been married. Some people have an idea that dating is just before marriage. So guys, I'm gonna call you out here. Please don't be mad at me. I encourage every man to take his wife out on a date. I don't know how much you can do it. It's hard. You know, we got kids and lives and busyness and jobs and all that. But when you take them out, don't just go to a movie to e with each other and just sit there side by side, watch a movie for two hours. Time is your most precious resource. Nothing wrong with going and seeing a movie. That's different than deepening your marriage relationship. Very different. When you go out on a date, ask her questions about her life and what she's experiencing and what her pressure points are and I've done this now for a few years, and it was really hard at first, but I go out with my wife, and I ask her questions. I go, what are your pressure points? How are you experiencing me? That's the hardest one. How are you experiencing me? It's hard like the first 10 times, because they're like, you, you know, whatever. You're like, ah, but you get into a groove. You, it gets easier the longer that you do it. Take advantage of the time that you have in relationships. Now, this is not just marriage relationships, but uh, relationships with other believers. A lot of Christian relationships end up centering around recreation, social times. This is kind of a negative one, but kind of negative speech and just kind of joking around and sitting around or whatever and going, well, we did, you know, we had time together. We're looking, wow, we spent three hours together. But the, 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 True relationship isn't deepened really in any way in that time. Take advantage of it. Christian community, biblical community is more than socializing or having coffee, but it's the pursuit of Christ together. And I'm not saying every conversation every day needs to be about, you know, some deep, profound subject on the Bible, but there is an intentionality to it that we have to lean into. Paragraph A at the bottom, we have to hold fast to a vision for deeper pursuit of relationship with Jesus. And many don't feel connected into churches and relationships because they have the wrong expectations or they have misdirected desires. They want other people to do something for them. They see the Sunday morning gathering as the primary expression of community. So we go, well, we gotta change Sunday morning. We gotta get rid of Sunday mornings. Let's all just only go to houses or vice versa. Or we gotta change the way that we do it so that it's more relational and more connection happens and all that. And that's not the primary point of a weekend service like this. Primary point of this is to worship together Meet people, maybe for the first time, learn their names so that you can have relationship with them outside the, the meeting and to hear the word of God together in terms of what the Lord is emphasizing and equipping this body with understanding from the word of God. 
There's lots more here. Go to page three. Paragraph D and E, I'll, I'll finish with just highlighting these two things. And I encourage you to read these notes on your own and have a conversation with someone about it. Paragraph D, just real practical. How do I engage, this is kind of answering, how do I engage in community in a deeper way, have a deeper sense of connection? Find and serve three to, three to four people with consistency where they would notice if you stopped. Pick people that you have no romantic interest in. We're just gonna head that off now at the pass. We're just gonna head that one right off. It's like, I'll serve her. <laughs> yeah, I bet you will, buddy. <laughs> All right, pick people. The idea is this. It's what Jesus says. It says, lend to those that can't pay you back. It's the same principle. Go serve people that there's no kickback that's gonna benefit you. It's not a romantic interest. It's not someone that can promote you. It's not some leader that's gonna open up doors of opportunity for you. Go find three or four people, serve them. Serve them, have a servant spirit. Find out what their needs are. Find out how your gifts, what you have, can be offered to them in a way that blesses them without anyone having to know and without it benefiting you in the outward in any way. Your father sees your father celebrates that aspect of, of Christian life. Paragraph E, I mentioned this a moment ago. A key to going deeper in relationships is to ask people questions, to be interested in them. If you get people talking, we're kind of all guilty of this. We love talking about, you know, ourselves. And if you begin to become good at asking people questions and, and not just random questions like what's your favorite color? Like what are their intentions? What do they wanna do in five years? Where would they live if they could live anywhere in the world? What is it that they feel God has uniquely called them to for this hour of history? Just questions like that, getting people talking and then asking those questions with a spirit of sincerity. Not doing it like you're a journalist or a reported, reporter but asking them questions. I love this, Jesus Jesus in the gospel, he asked over 300 questions and he was asked only about 100. God himself is deeply interested in the thoughts, the intents, the lives of humanity and he would ask them questions because it would draw things to the surface. It's one of the best ways, I think, to go deeper in relationships. Ask what people have experienced. Where they want to go in their spirit, in their you know, in their spiritual walk with God. What's your vision for your spiritual life in God? These are questions that sometimes we just think are so trite and so obvious we don't ever ask them. One of the most powerful questions that you can ask to your friends that are believers is, "How's your walk with God?" What are you believing for? What setbacks are you facing? I mean, you will open up so much information, so much exchange, so much uh, opportunity for dialogue and deepening relationships that are there. Just paragraph G real quick, we'll invite the worship team to come out. We're encouraging that every person in our spiritual family be a part of a friendship group. And the value isn't that we would have a bunch of friendship groups. The value is that you would have 10 to 20 friends that are pursuing God outside of a weekend service. And then from those 10 to 20 friends, you would have two to three 
key relationships that are, you're really going deep with them, deeper than the 10 to 20. And if you just come on Sunday mornings, you will not go anywhere in real deeper Christian relationships, just attending a Sunday morning service. I mean, you know that. But we don't want people in our midst to become isolated and they move and no one knows. No one feels it. No one's impacted because that individual, they move away. They weren't serving anyone that they really felt it. If my wife just got up and moved out of our house, we would so profoundly feel it in our house, we would be lost beyond measure, beyond words. And we would be lost because she serves our family so consistently and in such profound ways, simple ways, but profound ways. That's the vision for relationship and Christian community that we want to continue to emphasize here. Again, so you have the 10 to 20 in a friendship group. You don't, it doesn't even have to be a friendship group. Maybe you're connected in with CBETs or I don't know. There's so many ways. Our, again, our point isn't we want to get so many friendship groups going. Our point is we want people ministering, serving each other, relating to each other, missioning together in their neighborhoods, going deep in God, caring for one another, being living stones that are joined together in the midst of this body. True biblical community is very rare. Let's stand. We're gonna have a, just a time of worship. Jeremy's gonna lead us in a song. And if the Lord's touching your heart or you'd like to receive ministry, prayer ministry for anything that's going on in your life, we wanna invite you to come up to the front here at the end. If you're sick in your body and you'd like to receive prayer for healing, we wanna invite you to come up to the front. I'm gonna pray that the Lord helps us stir this understanding up more in our midst. Lord, we ask for your spirit to come, to touch this spiritual body, that we would be strengthened, that we would be awakened, that we, you would begin to show us what it is that you've called us to, of how we're to contribute to blessing another person that's a part of this spiritual family, to serving them, to encouraging them, maybe sowing into them, whatever it is, one to another, all the members of the body serving one another as the body comes to maturity, as she grows in love and deepens in her love for Christ. Lord, we love you. Touch us. Touch our children. Lord, strengthen marriages right now in the name of Jesus. We ask that every assignment against marriages would be stopped by the power of your word, that there would be suddenly, Lord, a supernatural increase of understanding, mutual understanding, the ability to listen, the ability to empathize. Lord, that pains would be healed. Relational pains would be healed. Pains that have caused fractures, Lord, that you would begin to speak over those things with just a spirit of grace and kindness and tenderness. Lord, you love this spiritual family so much. We want to experience more of that love, that affection. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.